This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 28, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama's nominee for attorney general seems unwilling to draw the important distinction between civil and criminal asset forfeiture. Adam Bates is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute's Project on Criminal Justice. He says that distinction explains exactly why forfeiture needs reform. Loretta Lynch is uh, Barack Obama's nominee to replace Eric Holder at the Department of Justice as Attorney General, and she was questioned uh, not uncivilly but pretty directly by uh, U.S. Senator Mike Lee of Utah about uh, civil asset forfeiture, and he tried to put it in the context of what the average person would uh, think of of this as right or wrong uh, when uh, examining how it actually functions. And her response was, uh, forfeiture is an important tool. It is a wonderful tool. And uh, it takes the profit out of crime. But really, at no point did she draw any meaningful distinction between the two kinds of forfeiture that uh, the federal government uh, is involved in regularly, which is civil asset forfeiture and criminal asset forfeiture. Right. And I think that that distinction is is the entire issue, uh, especially when you look at this situation from the perspective of a normal American. Criminal asset forfeiture is the idea that if you are engaged in some kind of criminal enterprise and you're charged and convicted of that criminal enterprise, uh, the instruments of that enterprise and the proceeds from that enterprise shouldn't be yours. They should be forfeited. And I think... Uh, even staunch opponents of civil asset forfeiture might might say that criminal asset forfeiture is fine. Crim, uh, civil asset forfeiture, on the other hand, is this idea that even if you're not, not only are you not convicted of any crime, you're not charged of a crime. You barely even need to be suspected of a crime in order for the government to take your property, to take your cash, take your car, take your home in some instances. And so I think her failure to distinguish between civil asset forfeiture and criminal asset forfeiture uh, evinces a kind of understanding that uh, civil asset forfeiture to the normal everyday American uh, seems like a violation of private property rights, like a violation of American principles. Uh, Loretta Lynch's office seized $450,000 from some businessmen in Long Island and never charged them with a crime. Uh, right. The the Hirsch brothers case that the Institute for Justice has been litigating for some time now, uh, three brothers, the Hirsch brothers in New York, owned a, a small business, and they had in their business account roughly $460,000 that they had deposited in small increments, small according to the federal government, and small enough to be suspicious according to uh, the Bank Secrecy Act, which makes it a... Uh, crime, essentially, to deposit uh, money knowingly uh, in order to avoid the $10,000 reporting requirement. So upon the IRS's determination that there was suspicious deposit activity in their bank account, the federal government seized the entire contents of their account, everything they had, uh, despite uh, federal law requiring that within a certain 60-day time period they be notified of this and be able to present their case to a judge, it, it, it has been two and a half years since their, since their bank accounts were emptied out, and they've only just recently uh, gotten their money back in anticipation of this confirmation hearing. Right. So her office effectively dropped this case last week. 
Right. I mean, at least shows that she understands that the public is broadly aligned against the, the at least the federal government when it comes to this issue. Right. This, this particular case of the Hearst brothers received uh, an immense amount of media scrutiny. It was the first time a lot of people, I think, had been exposed to the idea of civil asset forfeiture. This is kind of a, an archaic uh, segment of American law, and this particular Hirsch Brothers case was the first, was an egregious example of the kind of abuses that typify this program. And so, yes, I think uh, both because of the, of the uh, publicity this case received and in anticipation of having to face, having to face some questions from senators who are skeptical of this program, uh, the case was dropped and the Hirsch Brothers got their money back just a few days ago. Now, her defense uh, of this is a pretty typical one, which is we're, we're just trying to take the profit out of crime. Well, that is a great uh, justification for criminal asset forfeiture. This, I, again, this idea that uh, criminals should not profit from their criminal enterprise, especially after they've been caught. They should lose the instruments of their of their criminal enterprise. But as it pertains to civil asset forfeiture, these people aren't criminals. Not only in many cases have they not done anything wrong, but even the people who may have done something wrong have not been accused, have not been charged, have not been convicted of anything. So it's it's awfully hard to, to believe that the motive behind civil asset forfeiture is to take the motive out of crime if they can't even bother to establish that a crime has taken place. In the case of the Hirsch brothers, uh I spoke with Larry Salzman, who is representing them uh, from the Institute for Justice, and he said that they've received very sort of generous provisions from their vendors uh, and did not uh, call their bills, and it effectively allowed them to stay in business over these uh, last few years. Right. It was a testament to their long, uh, their decades of, of doing business that they had these kinds of, of commercial relationships where they could rely on on the strength of those relationships to get them through this, this period of hardship. But I think for many Americans and many small businesses, having your entire bank account frozen and, and taken by the federal government for two years, it would be the end of your business. You, you may lose your home. It could, I mean, this could this ruins lives. Rand Paul has introduced, and I suspect that it is timed to go along with Loretta Lynch's uh, nomination hearings, the Fifth Amendment Integrity Restoration Act, or FAIR, um, and it would, among other things, would redirect forfeiture assets from the Attorney General's fund into the general treasury fund. So what kind of impact will that have? The effort to take the funds from the DOJ and put it in the treasury has potential to have a great impact. Anything that is meant to take the profit motive out of civil asset forfeiture is a step in the right direction. Now, obviously, we have to wait and see. Money is fungible. We don't know exactly if this bill were to pass, how it would affect appropriations, or if if that takes money out of the Department of Justice budget um, when all is said and done. But any any effort to take the profit incentives out of this program is welcome. Uh, at the state level, there are some states that have much better rules on uh, civil asset forfeiture than the federal government. One that you noted before we started recording is North Carolina. Right. So North Carolina essentially does not have civil asset forfeiture. In North Carolina, uh, you can only have your assets seized upon a criminal conviction. Now, the problem in North Carolina is the federal government has this equitable sharing program uh, as part of their civil asset forfeiture regime. And through this program, local state and local law enforcement uh, are able to 
basically give uh, their seized assets to the federal government in exchange for 80% of the proceeds. So despite the fact that the, the people and their representatives in the North Carolina government have abolished civil asset forfeiture, uh, in the... <laughs> Law enforcement in North Carolina has has made tens of millions of dollars from civil asset forfeiture simply by running the, their seized assets through the federal government rather than the state. I, I'm wondering, just as a, as a policy matter, do you think it would be a net benefit or a detriment for individual states to say, hey, look, if you get anything from civil asset forfeiture uh, through related to the federal government, you don't get that money. It goes into the state treasury. Yes. Again, just as just as at the federal level, any effort to take the profit motive out of this is welcome. Any effort at the state level uh, to take the profit motive out of civil asset forfeiture would be welcome. And in many cases, uh, police departments will tell you they depend on this money. This is a big part of what they do. And if you hit these programs in the pocketbook where it hurts, I think we, there is real potential to curb this abusive practice. Adam Bates is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute's Project on Criminal Justice. Read more of his work at Cato.org.